fantastic. And how appropriate. Why does that surprise us? Can you put the first scripture up please, Graham? You should all be familiar with this one. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. There you go. I think we've just had a couple of testimonies. That will confirm the truth of God's word. For you are with me. Today we're going to look at the Good Shepherd. And whenever I um, read about the shepherd or the sheep, it always takes me back to um, a difficult time in my life when I decided to buy a farm, which wasn't the smartest thing I've ever done. But I remember on my farm, one of the very first things that happened was the previous owner had rented out one of the fields on the farm and it, I forget the exact figure, but it was something like 1300 1400 1500 pounds or something. And I thought, this farming is easy. Just let the sheep eat the grass. Fantastic. And I stood and I watched the sheep on the hill. And I was master of all that I surveyed. And this farmer came and he... Um, he put all sorts of stuff on the grass to make the grass luscious and grow and everything. And and it was just rolling in. It was great. And then I, as I observed the sheep, bearing in mind that mine was a chicken farm and we had an 8,000 volt electric fence going around this field. And I, and I saw these sheep. And I, I picture this. This field is 26 acres, lush green grass. The other side of this 8,000 volt fence was a thistle. And you could see the sheep looking at it. Grass, thistle. Grass, thistle. Head through fence, 8,000 volts in his head. Oh, wander away. Now you'd think the Lincoln thing would learn, wouldn't you? No, 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 no. Grass, thistle, head. The cycle just repeats. And the Bible is so true when it speaks about us being sheep. Because we are sheep. And sheep like to wander. They like to get lost. They like to leave security. They like thistles. You know, another lesson I learned on that farm was that when I went into my field, the sheep scattered. They ran away. But when he came, they came to him. Because sheep know the shepherd. They didn't know me. I was just the the person who owned the farm. And all the way through, the analogies come through the word of God. That as sheep, we are called to know our shepherd. We're called to follow him. We're called to trust in him. David was writing that a thousand years ahead of the main text for today. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. doesn't say, doesn't, you know, we know God meets our needs doesn't always meet our wants, though, does he? We might want something, but we don't necessarily need something. And there is a difference. When you began your journey in November, you needed a home. You might have wanted a castle, but you needed a home. And you've got to learn this lesson, that actually... If he is your shepherd, he knows this stuff. The shepherd knows what the sheep wants. The responsibility actually is his. And all too often, we do exactly what that sheep did. 
just stick my head into something I shouldn't be sticking my head into. I lack nothing. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths. You've spoken about guidance. Of wanting somewhere to settle. Well, he's led you. Provided for you. Will use you. Has used you. And you know, look, even though I walk through the darkest valley, we'll, we'll be looking at valleys when we get into the text in John. The, the, the text in John speaks about um, the, the shepherd taking the flock up the hill. And as he goes higher up in the spring, sometimes you have to go through some valleys. But that is true for everyone in this room. For every one of us in this room, there are days when actually the valleys seem very deep. But I want to ask you, who are you following when you're in the valley? Are you following him? Because if we're following him, he knows the way out the valley. It's when we follow ourselves, and when we think we know better, that actually we get into all sorts of problems. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Do you know today that is with you? Do you know in your heart today that is with you? Will you know in a year's time or ten years time? Because your testimony is valid. Your testimony is your testimony. No one can take it away. You know, Darren, the miracles that have happened since November. The the circle of friends that actually have been brought around you to support you, to pray, to accompany you to different things, all because of him. Not It's right to acknowledge people, but ultimately it's because he led you into the right place. We, we've joked, you know, uh, a few times. When I first met Darren, he was reliably informed he'd be out by Christmas. I did point out, she didn't say which year. <laughs> Let's move it on. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. This is our God. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Always. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you know one day you don't need a housing association house? You've got a mansion in heaven. Do you like that, Sam? There's one there for you, Pat. This isn't it. There is a house. Jesus himself will say, I go to my father to prepare a place for you. Okay, let's jump into the text. I need to set the scene. That was just to whet your appetite. The scene is this. Look, last week, Jesus had upset some of the religious rulers. He had healed a blind man, but he'd done it on the wrong day of the week. Fancy that being inconvenient doing it on the wrong day of the week. As far as they were concerned, he'd done it on the wrong day of the week. And he'd done it really to demonstrate that he is above all things. He is the one that scripture consistently testified to that he would do these things. The religious people of his day could have um, and should have remembered the Old Testament text about healing the eyes of the, the people being born blind. And they'd seen it, but not seen it, if you like. And so they were getting really uppity. And so they said this to the, to the man that's been blind, born blind, and now healed. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They've cast him out. They've excommunicated him. He's no longer welcome in the society. He's no longer welcome at the synagogue where he should be allowed to worship. And that was their solution to a problem which they couldn't deal with. Do you know there is, um, well, let's deal with their situation first and foremost. They had the keys, if you like. They had the knowledge of God. They understood the text. They had been given the very oracles of God, the, the story and the promises. And had they followed the information that they had, then 
the rest of the world would have looked at Israel and seen how God was blessing that nation and how it was how God was using that nation and the goodness of God would have flowed out of Israel to other nationalities they hadn't done that do you know sometimes as as churches we can do the same we can sit here with all the truth and we don't share it with anyone we don't uh, testify to God's goodness. That's why I love testimonies. I, I love the, the fact that we can testify about our living God, who is our shepherd. Long may it continue. So their answer really was to get rid of, the, get rid of him, rather than actually elevate him and say, say to the people, look, Messiah is amongst us. So once again, Jesus goes searching out for this guy, and he says he'd heard that they'd thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He said last week that when this man first met Jesus, he met him as a man, a man called Jesus. And then he'd, when he'd been testifying, he said, look, maybe he's a prophet, he's a man from God. And then thirdly, he said, no, he's definitely a man from God, a man sent from God. And the fourth part of his journey, the realisation of who stands before him, because the Son of Man was one of the Old Testament terminologies, particularly in Daniel, about the Messiah. So he says, who is he, sir? And the man, the man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus stands right before him and says, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one that's speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. When you believe him, the natural result is to worship him. So, do you believe in Jesus? You've got a testimony. Sorry? You do. You do in a bit. Anyway, watch. You need to believe him because he is the good shepherd. He is God. We'll see where we go with it, Sam. If, and if you like, we can talk to me at the end. Right, so Jesus then turns to the Pharisees and says, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. What a tongue twister of a passage. The blind will see, well he's just done that, but those that think they see actually become blind. And tradition whether it's Judaism, any other religion, church, or anything like that, can blind you to the reality of a living saviour. Some Pharisees then said to him, who were there, heard him say this and asked, what are we blind to? And if you'd never heard of Jesus, look, if you've never heard of this man, then your level of understanding God understands. You can still see God in nature and he'll always meet the person where you're at. But they, they're blinded by knowledge. He said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. He judges us by our understanding. So, and the important thing is we move into chapter 10 is that chapter 10, there's no chapter break. This is a continuation of the story and you have to frame this text within the bounds of the guy being healed from being blind. So he says this, very truly, now when Jesus says the words very truly, or amen, amen, he means sit up, pay attention, because what he's going to say is really important. Very truly, I tell you Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief, a thief and a robber. In Israel, in that day, there are two types of sheep pen. The first type of sheep pen is the one near the towns or the cities. And they're big structures. And the, the um, structure would be often alongside the city wall, but then it would go out, and there will be one entrance in, and then round about again. And because it would hold several flocks of different different ownership, they would all come in on a night time, and they would place a watchman there. And the watchman 
would wait for the shepherd to come and we will see what he, what he does with it now. So you've got the picture, big structure just outside the city. Very truly I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief, and I always struggle with that word, and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. So you've got all these different flocks. And in the morning, the individual shepherds would come and they would come through this gate. Let's see what happens next. The gatekeeper, that's the watchman, he opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Can you imagine what that looks like? In that society, you might have a hundred sheep. This guy, this individual shepherd, so well knows his sheep that he's able to call them out by name. I'll let you into a little secret. When I met my gorgeous wife, and she's frowning at me, we had um, we had two big sheds on this farm, and one of the sheds held 5,000 chickens. She knows where I'm going now. And so on one side of this, there was a passageway down the centre of this big big shed, and on one side is 2,500 chickens. And on the other side of this walkway is 2,500 chickens. And I kid you not, right? I'm on the right-hand side of the shed. Kay's on the left-hand side of the shed. She's bending down. We just had 5,000 chickens delivered. And she's patting the chickens like this. And I'm thinking, she's naming the chickens. <laughs> I am in trouble, but it is such a happy memory. Yes. Yep. Yep. Well, yep, yeah. And, yep. Uh, yeah, well, the trouble with ours is we're only keeping them for a year, then they were going off to slaughter. So, uh, you know, uh, that, that's the bad side of the story. But, you know, you, as a livestockman, you learn to love your actual animals. You do, you do love them. You do care for them. You do protect them. Absolutely. It breaks the farmer's hearts. You, you're so right, Gemma. No, no, there's... Absolutely true. Very true. And now picture that now with Jesus. Now picture Jesus as the shepherd and he's calling his flock by name. By name. Well, of course he does. Because, you know, there are other passages in the Bible that, you know, we've had them in Luke where he knows the number of hairs on our head. And as I said at the time, it doesn't need a lot of counting sometimes, Clive, does it? But for others it does. But this is how close he is. And, and you know, sometimes we forget this stuff. Sometimes we really forget this stuff. And now look, picture this. He comes to the gate, he calls out his names, his sheep and everything, and then he leads them. Then he's the one that's responsible, just like David had said in Psalm 23. He's the one taking them to the pasture. It's only when sheep behave like sheep that problems happen. It's only when you see the thistle and you think, I know better than the shepherd. You don't. And I'm not referring to myself as a shepherd. I'm referring to him. For him to call them out by name, if another shepherd came and used the same name, would the sheep come? So what does that tell you about the sheep then? They know the voice. They know who the shepherd is. It's not just a person. They know that this is their shepherd. How might you get to know your shepherd? Spending time with him. Spending time with him. It's it's surprising that, you know, we... we, we we claim to be Christians. Well, you know, look, most of us in this room will claim to, to bear that tag. How much time have you spent with him this week? Because if you've not spent the time with him, how do you know he's leading? I'm not, I'm not being rude. I'm, I'm being you know, brutally honest. That actually, unless we spend time with him, how do we know which voice we're listening to? There's lots of voices out there, isn't there? Lots of voices. 
I, I often say this to people, that actually, you know, this is the filter. Whatever you hear, whether it's from me or from anyone else, or whatever you watch, whatever you experience, if you go to a, a big event or any of those things, you've got to have a filter in your head. Because there's an awful lot of voices out there saying an awful lot of things that are actually not in the book. There's an awful lot of people who come to rob and steal. And they'll fleece the sheep. Because sheep are stupid. And they're dead easy to fleece. They will follow, never follow a stranger. And in fact they will run away from him. Because they don't recognise a stranger's voice. That's what you're supposed to do. Oh sorry I missed verse 4 look. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow because they know his voice. Verse 6. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he's telling them. No, because they're the ones fleecing the blinking, their own people. They'll say later on in chapter 11, they come up, well, come up with a great plan. They said this, look, if we leave this Jesus alone, he's going to do these miracles, he's going to convince these people, the whole nation are going to turn to him, which by the way they should have done, which by the way they should have been encouraging. But then they come up with the second part of that statement and they say this, if that happens, we'll lose our position and Rome will get very angry and overthrow the country. Well, you were already in occupied land, they were more concerned about their position. And that's why they killed Jesus in the end. They didn't want, they didn't want the change that he was bringing. So he's going to give them the second illustration. And the second illustration is the second type of sheep pen. As, as the shepherd goes up to the highlands, he then builds a structure. And this is just for his flock now. And it's just often a, a, a circle of rocks. And once again, there is one entrance. But this time, there is no gate. This time, there is no no um, security door. And he describes this. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, now pay attention, he's saying, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. This is another one of his I am statements. He's already said to them, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, and now I am the gate for the sheep. You can translate gate for door. I am the door. What does a door do? Right, okay. It's funny how people, I can read so much into what people tell me. Your door's closed. Do you know why? Yes. You like to lock the world out, Darren, don't you? You find security the other side of the door. Yeah. What does another, what does another use for a door? It opens. It opens. You see, just, it's dual purpose, isn't it? You've got to open the door to enter. Well, you've got to close the door to keep it safe, haven't you? Right. I think Sam's gone. It's a pity. Because this would have worked well. Jesus is going to give the illustration that this pen with all the sheep in, right? And the sheep have to go through one entrance. There's only one entrance into this sheep pen. There's not two, there is only one. And he says, I'm the door. Think about it. I am the door. I am is his Old Testament name for God. Imagine a cross. Imagine the cross. Well, look, there's one we made earlier. Imagine a cross. And on that cross is a door built into it. And wrote on that door is this. That anyone can come in. Anyone. Whosoever wants to come to me can come through that door. But because there's only one door, only one door into him, it's no good if you don't come through the cross. I am the door. 
for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. And that's a difficult passage. It, the, the leaders should have been pointing to him, but they hadn't. And so there was, they were denying the sheep, if you like. They were robbing them, stealing the joy, that the provision that was there for them. I am the gate, the second time he uses it. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in, there you go Darren, and they will go out. Come in and go out and find pasture. Do you know if you leave a sheep to itself, he couldn't have picked a more better description for us really, could he? If you leave a sheep to itself, it will eat so much grass, it will destroy the field. If it was just confined in a particular area, it will take the roots out the ground. And it will just nibble it and nibble it and nibble it. And so the shepherd's job, or one of the shepherd's uh, roles, is to continually move the sheep. He guides them wherever he's going. His job is to know where to take the sheep. Their job is to follow behind. If the sheep get ahead of the shepherd, they wander. Therein lies the secret of the Christian life. Therein is the rocket statement, the, the scientific statement. As long as you are walking behind your saviour, he will lead you. It is so difficult to lead someone who is ahead of you. Impossible, isn't it? Impossible. Another illustration from my farming days. When we bought the farm, it, it used to have um, a disease on. And the mortality rate of, of the flock was horrendous. And the previous owner had dug these big holes in the ground. This isn't a very pleasant memory. Some of you might be sick, but don't worry about that. Big, deep holes with the JCB. Over time, they filled with water. And all these dead birds were being thrown in to these holes. It smelled a bit, didn't it? It wasn't a very pleasant place to be. You can imagine three, four, five, six, seven hundred dead chickens over a year. Have I built the picture? Imagine one day I go to collect some eggs one day and I hear this sheep. That was my impersonation of a sheep. It wasn't bad, was it? Guess where it is? In the dead hole. Swimming. Slowly drowning. Standing on all these carcasses. Smelling. Lots of flies. And I'm thinking, I'll just walk away. And let, it's not my sheep. Have you ever tried to lift a woolly jumper out of a bath? Have you ever tried one with four legs that's really annoyed at you that you're pulling it? I had to get on my tummy and drag this stupid sheep out of the dead hole, wet through and ponging like anything. Fast forward 24 hours, where do you think it is the next day? In the dead hole. We don't learn, you're right there. I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved, they will come in and go out and find pasture. Don't get ahead of your shepherd. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You know, um, there are two aspects to this. There is the aspect of eternity, which is where we're going. But I am a great believer in the fact that Jesus wants you to be good here. To know his provision here. To know his blessing here. And I think we do. Not our wants. There is a whole difference between the wants. But actually, he knows our needs. And and he, he meets them. Have life to the full. I am the good shepherd. It's his next statement. The I am statement. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd and the word good, I think the best way I've heard it described is this, look. 
if you think of gold, gold as a value, I've got a gold wedding ring. Not a lot of gold, but it was, it's, it's gold. And if you melt it down, it's still got value, hasn't it? It has, it's what's called an intrinsic value. That's the word there. The good shepherd is intrinsically good. Do you see the difference? He's not just good sometimes, he's always good. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So back to this illustration of the sheep pen, which this society would know quite well. The one entrance, but this entrance doesn't have a door, Darren. So how are you going to stop the sheep getting out and how are you going to stop the wolves getting in? Faith, that won't do you any good against the wolf. He lays down at the entrance. Because he's already claimed to be the door, the gate, that's where he sleeps on the night time. He sleeps across the very entrance of, of the, the sheepfold. That's how much he loves you. That's who's protecting us. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. If a wolf comes, well, he won't be like this. Let's see what the next one does. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. The wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But look, I am, that's his name, the good shepherd. I'm intrinsically good, always good. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. He isn't going to run away. When difficult times come, and they sometimes come. Had a rough week, Michelle, didn't you? A week ago. But he's still the good shepherd. And you know that. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Two-way relationship. Two-way relationship. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's how much he loves us. He lays it down. It's interesting, you know, because he's going to talk about the cross. And you can read the um, accounts of the cross. And if you read them on a particular way, you think that Jesus died a martyr's death. That actually he was killed by those in authority. He didn't die a martyr's, martyr's death, did he, Matt? I can see you shaking your head. What sort of death would you describe him dying? His choice. His choice. If he had not wanted to go to the cross, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's why the door's on the cross. That's why he is the door, the gate, the only way. Of course, what it means is this, look. Sinless Christ, sinless Jesus, goes on the cross, and because he's on the cross and he's sinless, he isn't dying for his, for his sins. Whose sins might he be dying for? I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Anyone want to be brave and tell me who the other sheep are? Well done, John. Fantastic. That's why you've got to frame it around the blind man. It is the Gentiles. He was talking to the Jews, but actually, do you know, when we both come to Christ, whether you're Jewish or whether you're a Gentile, you're just a Christian. That's all we are. He's the shepherd, we're all one. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what colour, 
what ethnicity, whatever, male or female, doesn't matter any of those things, one shepherd, one flock. It's funny, you know, that the disciples who heard this were years in Jerusalem before they grasped the fact that they'd had to go to the Gentiles, the gospel. Such, I mean, that, that would horrify them. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold and must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. That's an interesting Bible study. Who raised Jesus from the dead? Do you want to tell me? God the Father did? There's two more. (laughs) all three of them are involved in the resurrection no one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own of my own accord I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again this command I receive from my father wherever the cross is preached look, there is always always conflict it will always evoke a response the Jews who heard these words were again divided And many of them said, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? Well, why listen to him? That's coming as well. Any, Any other reason to listen to him? Just because it's polite? Because he's God's word, yeah? He's God's word to the world, yeah? Any other suggestions? Well, that's it, Clive. Thank you. Yeah. Clive said it, not me, so it's his fault. If you don't believe in him, if you don't listen to him, one day you'll stand before God and be judged. One day you'll stand before him and say, I heard all this. I heard that you're the gate, you're the good shepherd. But actually, I prefer to meet you on my own terms. You don't want to meet God that way. Christianity is often accused, you know, of being a very narrow religion. It's not narrow in the sense that it's narrow for only some people. On that door on the cross... Anyone can enter it. It's not locked. Anybody can come. Anyone, Sam, can come. But if you don't come, there's only one door. That's what... I just tell the scriptures. I, I, I shudder to think of people not understanding this stuff. This is a great responsibility... One shepherd, one entrance to salvation, one choice. It's always division, verse 19. The Jews who heard these words were again divided, and many of them said, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? Well, I'll give you a clue. Let's look at the next verse. But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can the demon open the eyes of the blind? They had the evidence. They had the guy probably still hanging around in the in the courtyard. They knew he was being born blind. They had the text of the word of God. They had changed lives before them. Still, many of them said no. But some say yes. Some say, "Yeah, I want to. I want to go through that gate." I want to meet this shepherd who promises to provide today as well as 2,000 years ago. Choice is ours. Father, I want to thank you for your word. Lord, I pray by your spirit that you will take what we've looked at today as only you can take it, Lord. I pray that you will um, just unblock our ears. You know that sheep can be so stupid. And we're all sheep. 
Father, I pray um, you'll just guide us. And those that need to enter into your sheepfold, Lord, I pray today that they will do that. In Jesus' name. Amen. And um, that to me is just an amazing testimony. And um, I wanted a key ring, and um, I wanted a key ring with the scripture on, and I couldn't have got into the Christian bookshop. So I asked my friend's daughter, who was home from university, um, at some point over the last two weeks, because she go to the Matlock Christian bookshop and just take some photos. And there were three, and this one stood out: Grace, God's Riches at Christ's Expense. Um, and the amazing testimony is like, you know, it's amazing to have a new home anyway. But seven years ago, um, I collapsed. I was very ill. I could no longer keep working. I lost my home. I lost my church. Pretty much lost everything it felt. Um, but I didn't lose Jesus. And I went back over to Northern Ireland where I became a Christian. And it soon became very clear that I was so unwell and it it was more than physical. A lot of trauma, past trauma started coming out. And and I felt God saying to me, I want you to go back to England. And I want you to go, I'm taking you on a healing journey. And I had nothing left in England. Uh, My family aren't Christians. My parents were in Spain. And um, I have one friend. It was a Christian pen friend that I'd connected with years earlier and I'd, we, we wrote together. He's a very, very quiet person. He doesn't easily make friends and he'd been really good to me and he had a little attic bed, well a big attic bedroom and he let me stay in his attic bedroom in Birmingham. And I went there and I put my suitcase down and I'm 42 years old and I've moved over 42 times in my life. By the time I was eight years old, I'd probably moved about six or seven times. And I just put it down. I was so tired and I was so weary and I was so broken. And I just said, God, what town, village or city do you want me to be in? Where do you want me? And he took me on an incredible journey. Now, I can't fully share my, I can't share my story because it was a long seven year journey and I probably was in about 10 different places, and I just longed to settle. But each place I went to, it was never an opportunity to settle. It was never, there was always a time limit. It's always something. And three years ago, he brought me to Sheffield, and just, it's just amazing how he led me. And at times, it looked like it had gone all wrong. And I just want to encourage people when it just feels like it's gone absolutely all wrong when you've you've stepped out the boat and and it looks crazy and, and people might actually start to doubt I mean my prayer partner from when I lived in Northern Ireland she really thought I was running away from God but I knew I wasn't and because my story is too long to share I I asked a friend that, that um, in Milton Keynes who shared a testimony about uh, three weeks ago um, if I could read her story. And her story is very different to me, um, what she wrote three weeks ago. But it's, it's very similar. She left South Africa um, 18 months ago. She's just come to the 18-month anniversary. She left South Africa because she had a 15-year-old son with autism, and she couldn't give him the help that he needed, very severe needs. She had a 13-year-old daughter, and she could hardly feed them. She came over here at God's leading on an ancestry visa, but you can't get benefits for five years until you become a resident. And she had connections. She had a a family member in Milton Keynes. She automatically, instantly, within a month, she got a part-time job with World Vision. But it wasn't enough, even for the Milton Keynes, to get a house in Milton Keynes. And um, I I wasn't aware of her full story until she just wrote it a a few weeks ago. And um, But I was aware of what she wrote on the 6th of May last year. And she put eight days left. Um, She was becoming homeless again. And she put, not feeling so brave this morning. In fact, it would be fair to say I'm feeling quite awful and really fed up. I did say I'm expecting my miracle this week, and it isn't the end of the week yet. Sometimes having to trust God for every single step of the way is just not easy for my human brain. And this is what she posted a few weeks ago. So this was one year ago. We were eight days away from our short lease expiring. Our gracious landlords were able to extend that for another week, 
but the new tenants were moving in, so we were about to become homeless. We'd already moved five times in six months. One of those moves was international. We were all three pretty shell-shocked and exhausted. As our time flew to the end, we really did have nowhere to go. But just before it did, I was told that someone was going to put us up in a travel lodge for a week. We'd been looking for a place to move for two months. Some people were saying we really needed to seriously consider going back to South Africa. I knew I'd heard from God and I knew he had brought us this far, that going anywhere was not right. So many beautiful people got on their knees and trusted God for a home for us. A couple of days into that week, a friend put out a request on Facebook and an agent came back saying a property was available near Layla School. It was also five minutes from my friend Emma's house and very close to the city and not far from work. As it turns out, it is also five minutes to church at Netherfield. I called the agent who offered to show me the house. It had just been painted and new carpet laid throughout. It had a big double bedroom, a decent-sized second bedroom, and a tiny room which Layla could fit into. It also had a garden. A substantial amount of money was needed up front, and I just didn't know how God would sort it out. Then suddenly, he miraculously came through, mind-blowing stuff. A couple of days later, I signed a lease, and the following day, we moved in. My life is just one big, amazing story after another. His love and grace never runs out on me. Each day we are walking out our comeback story. Parts of the story have been so very sucky, but the beauty that rises from the ashes is sweet and keeps us humble and focused on Jesus. And this last paragraph, even though you don't know my friend, I, I just feel it's really important because she had her group of people that, that supported her and helped her and Sometimes we don't feel we've really got much to give. We might think, well, I haven't got anything financially. Um, you know, I can just give a few hours at the food bank. I can just go and give a friend a hug or pray for someone. Uh, and we might think that it's very small, but I think this picture shows us how important it is. This is a reminder of that miraculous house hunting time. It was our first huge collective UK miracle with so many people coming together and rallying around to help. I won't tag you all, but for every single one of you who prayed, who gave money, helped with lifts, sent meals, delivered uniform, helped us move each time we had to, hugged me and told me it would be okay, believed in me, believed in us, smiled, held my hand, collected meds, took me to work, bought me coffee, made sure I ate lunch, prayed more, gave more hugs, listened to me, wept with me, rejoiced with me, searched for homes with me, accommodated me in so many ways, extended grace and friendship and unconditional love to all of you and all the ways you gave me hope. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I just asked God whether to share why this is so significant to me this morning, and I I felt I was. Because when I didn't know my friend's full story, last year when this happened, I was going through one of the darkest times of my life. It felt like that. Um, I was very unwell. I could hardly function. And I felt I really had nothing to give. And in the midst of it, um, I applied to get benefits, um, to get some further help, because I could hardly function in my home. And the man came, it was last January, and he'd pretty much made up his mind beforehand. He just wanted me to say yes or no. Um, and I told him how it was. And the letter that came through as a result of that said, you have said you can't do this. We have decided you can. And they basically decided that everything I couldn't do, that I could do. And I chose not to appeal it because I'd, I'd spent weeks, months having to focus to bring up all this stuff to explain all the difficulties. I had no strength left. I just wanted to focus on God. I wanted to focus on what I could do. I wanted to focus on the goodness. So I laid it down at that point. And when I looked at Facebook sometimes and saw some of Shen's posts, I was just waiting for God to bring that miracle to her. 
And I saw that post that I read at the beginning. And I realized one thing. I had the savings in my account that I could actually give Shen six months and her deposit. But that was savings. I, I had no furniture. I had, you know, I moved into a flat with the iron provided, the, the, everything provided down to the towels. Um, and I knew in one year's time that I would have to leave there, that it was a two year tenancy. And I knew I had nothing. And I knew that I might have to go privately. And I knew how important stillness was for me to find a still, quiet place. And I just waited for someone to come through, and no one came through. So I just made a decision. I said, Shen, here, you know, I'll give you this money, because when I move in a year's time, God will provide for me. Well, the amazing thing is I I don't have an extensive closeness to my parents. Um, My parents don't really know me at this point, and um, they're not people to just hand out money like that. And they don't know what happened with Shen. But as I was starting to search in January this year, I looked in different places, and nothing was right. And I finally got a housing association flat that came up privately in Swallow Nest, and I was offered it. But I knew it would cut me off from this church because I don't drive, and I felt I needed to be able to have lifts easily and be able to get here on my own easily. So I thought, well, maybe I'll move to the, to the church in Swallow Nest. Uh, and I visited there on a Sunday, and I knew it wasn't right. So I ended up looking within a two-mile um, radius. But even with priority housing on the council, I, didn't, I wasn't high enough. And my parents wrote to me, not knowing any of this, and they said, look, would it help you if we gave you six months' rent and the deposit? And I've been looking... And my tenancy ran, I moved in on the 3rd of June, they backdated it to a Monday. My tenancy ran to the 1st of June. The place I found a couple of months ago, the tenant was moving out on the 31st of May, 30th of May, and they said you can have the keys on the 31st of May. And the God has provided, like this week, um, my friends from Matlock have just painted, the whole flat is painted. And I felt God saying, I want you to carpet it. We got this sky blue carpet, and that's going to be laid this week. And so just as God provided for Shem a month ago, and like I just said, okay, I just trust you, because I don't need it now, and God will give it back to me. And he's given me, and he hasn't just given me like a small amount. He's given me in absolutely overflowing, because... All I cried out for, I, I believed God for nature outside my window. I believed him for sunshine. I believed him for birds because that to me is like the air to just breathe. And I've got a window that's over two meters, a low window, almost like floor to ceiling. And all it is is trees. And I got a private rental. And on top of housing benefit, I only had to pay £15 a month. And I just look at it and the sunshine after midday, it comes around and just streams in and you know I've been longing for those seven years to settle and I just want to praise God because he really gives us way more than we can possibly imagine and I just want to encourage people to hold on in the dark times and hold on to the promises that God's given you